I do believe I'm outside your house, my friend. I can see you now. I'll turn round. You're the tour guide. Am I going to fit in here or what? <laughs> don't know, but here, you're lost in tunes out already, aren't you? Flipping, eh? It's gone off in my pocket, Paul, are you? Thanks for doing this. No, no problem. Mr. Adam Fogarty. <laughs> as much as you want well, I'm you've just got trying angles, to get in do you know what I mean you can put yourself back <laughs> you, you know what I mean now, mate. great part of the country here aren't we yeah I love it love I love it up here for a simple reason countryside so you're sort of two minutes away from town but you feel like you're countryside living you know I can be kind of DJ for about 15-20 minutes and just right. and we'll have a chat over it why you why you like your songs it's funny you know because you say DJ my dad used to have a nightclub and when I were a kid I got to go to disco like school discos years above because i used to borrow records from dj to play did, in the school yeah. disco so you know it's all about Flipping what you know if you've got any shades there's a handful in there just help shades. yourself yeah i mean <laughs> i don't think you'll have any that fit my big head man yeah if you see inside the my head i don't want to stretch it oh don't you worry my head's massive top the boss for starters i mean literally he's the boss in it well you know it's funny like because uh one of my first trips away away from home, I was 15 year old, you know, and my mum and dad let me go to a snooker tournament with a mate of mine who were trying to become a professional snooker player, and it were in Wales, but it was the first time I'd ever been in a bar where they had these video screens and you put your mummy in, and you could pick like a jukebox, yeah, but yeah. it actually played the video, and I loved dancing in the dark, and uh, my mate were into George Michael's Careless Whisper, I must have spent a fortune in this bar just throwing 50p's and pounds in it to play these two songs. And uh, weird thing, like years later, I got to have dinner with Bruce Springsteen. No, you didn't. I did. Just uh, you know, totally luck. It was. Uh, I'd done a film called Greenfingers with Clive Owen and Helen Mirren, and uh, the the main uh, lady behind the film was Trudy Styler, Sting's wife. I think, yeah. And uh, I got to go to New York to the premiere, and it was at Trudy's. We all had to meet. Her. Trudy and Sting's house overlooking Central Park and he bought it off Billy Joel a few years before and it was like somewhere out of this world apartment and I get there and there's all these celebrities there but all of a sudden Bruce Springsteen walks in and I thought this is the boss, the boss is he, well, yeah yeah and I'm trying not to embarrass myself like so I'm trying to have a little sneaky look at him without him thinking who's that staring at me, you know, me and wife so like and anyway we went to see the film and then he sat behind me a couple of rows behind me, not way through the film, I'm sort of trying to have a quick look back to see if he's laughing in right spots, you know. And after the film, we all got taken to this uh, restaurant in New York, and me and the wife goes in, there's loads of tables, like about 10 seater tables, yeah. and me and wife goes in and we sit down, and all of a sudden, like, these tables start to fill up. Next thing, Bruce Springsteen comes, like, stands next to me and starts sitting down, and I said, Bruce, I said, it's nice to meet you. I said, uh, I'm glad you've come and watched my film. I said, I've watched you enough times. And he went, oh, mate, you know, and it, it was just like talking to you, someone you'd known for years, you know, like, they say, don't they, you should never meet your heroes. Yeah, like, yeah. But it was one of them, like, we talked about all sorts, and it was just like, you know, talking to someone who you'd known a long time. And I said, like, to him, I says, what, uh, it must be brilliant, like, you up there on stage and you're singing your songs and people are singing them back to you. He says, I love it. He said, I love performing. He said, I hate doing the videos for the songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked about changing babies, nappies, and it. he said to me, he said, what, you know, is this your full-time thing, acting? Do you have all else? I said, I've got a fish and chip shop in Huddersfield. He said, oh, I said, I love fish and chips. He said, you know, he said, I was once doing a, a, a play in Paris. He 
take you to a fish restaurant afterwards, Bruce. So they do the best fish and chips in Paris. This is when we got there, and this plate came out with like a tray over it, and voila. They said the fish were about that size, really tiny, so you got about eight chips piled. He said you'd have needed about six to fill you up like talking. <laughs> but it was just like fantastic, just sort of out of the blue. And it's, it's weird, like, you know, because the acting game that I'm in comes and goes, you know, one minute you're on something and you never know where it's going to lead. So it's exciting. You know? It's very exciting. Like, people don't know, obviously, like, you started out, I mean, which we'll get on to later, in, uh, you know, when we go back to yours and stuff. You started off as a professional sports star, didn't you? Yeah, Much well. Boxing, boxing rugby yeah. league, and now it's kind of, well, you've got the fish and chip shop as well, which is unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, absolutely cool. So from being young, we've had a fish and chip shop, and I used to go to school in Sorby Bridge. And I used to have to get the bus into town where my dad's fish and chip shop were on side of this nightclub. Yeah. So some days I'd get the bus into town, get a fish butter, then get the bus home and have my tea. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that's where the uh, being greedy and overweight came from. So it's my one, yeah, yeah. So I'm the chief tester and uh, that's why I'm so fat. I've never had an Hollywood actor in my car before, but yeah. you know I mean, I've had comedians, musicians, sports people. But it's so, I love, music's well, massive, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, without, without a doubt, I mean, I think it's one of the first things you learn to do, isn't it, when your kids, like, sing nursery rhymes, and you get into that, I think it gets you, you know, I've, I've always loved music, I've even written songs. Have you? you know, yeah, it's weird, isn't it, like... I'm having I, a jam back at yours, is that what you're going to say? No, <laughs> you can't do, you might not like it, but, no, I think it's one of them, like, you know, I've always done tough sports, in a way, that's just how it happened. But, you know, you play tough sports, don't make you a tough person. I've always liked writing poems and stupid stuff, like, yeah. not to me. It sounds silly because I've always liked writing lyrics. Because I think that's my attention span. You know, they say, why don't you write a book? Well, I ain't got the attention span to start and finish a book. And I agree, couldn't agree with you more, because music, I always associate different songs to where I were at a certain time. And this meatloaf one, uh, Bat Out of Hell, I remember as a kid going on my first, more or less, my first school trips to uh, Scotland somewhere, and the Meatloaf album that Anna Bell had just come out, and we were all listening to it on bus, going there, you know, and I thought, oh, this is fantastic. When I was boxing, my dad's best pal in Ireland, man, Kevin Kelly, was in charge of the casino there, and Meatloaf played uh, TT Week in the Isle of Man, and my, my dad's pal, Kev, who's always been like Uncle Kev, like he's not charge of the security and they were playing the ball in uh, Douglas. My uncle's Kev's in charge of security so he rung me up and I'm in London boxing. He said, do you want to come and walk around with Meatloaf for four days in Isle of Man? I says, yeah, yeah, of course I yeah. So me and my mate Cass flies over to Isle of Man and we're thinking this is going to be the exciting four days we've ever had, you know, birds and all that, girls, and, you know, rock and roll and shiny bomber jackets on yeah. and they're all in red his outfit and he had a white one on and on the back it had meatloaf and the sponsor Durex so I, like as I'm like we meet someone gets him in the car and we're driving to this hotel they're stopping at and as soon as we dropped him at the hotel like you know I says well I says I says I'm gonna have some fun here I said they're even sponsored by Durex company and it weren't it were a slimming product from America <laughs> you know but we had four days, they were in bed most 
last nights for 10 o'clock. It was, you know, he had his wife with him. I think he'd gone through his rock and roll years, you know, and he just went round looking at bikes. But on the day of the concert, they were at the bowl in Douglas, which is an open air football pitch, really. And they'd set this stage up, and behind the stage were a caravan. So me and my mate stood outside this caravan waiting, and we walked into the back of the stage. And it said, meet, ladies and gentlemen, meet loaf. Well, he tore on this stage. It was, it was fantastic. He just, like, you know, they say show business. Yeah. He just turned it on. It was like this brilliant act. And it was fantastic. Just, you know, me and my mate stood back at the stage watching, like, you know. We had four days with Meatloaf. The most exciting thing we got up to, we're driving down this road and we saw this sign that said Meatloaf Car Park. So he says to me and my mate, he says, would you mind getting that down for me? He says, I'll put that up in the car park when I get back to America. So I'm stood there with my mate on his shoulder and he's trying to undo this meatloaf sign. So all looking back, you know, it sounds like I'm name dropping, well, I suppose I am, but it's just the look of the draw that I got to mix with certain people at certain times of my But I don't, I don't think it is name dropping because you're not, it's not like you, we're talking about it, you're not showing off about it, you're very modest about stuff, you, 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 it's part of your journey. With the acting, I couldn't have been in a, a a better place at the right time. I mean, at that time, I was with Terry Lawless in London, and uh, Warner Brothers did a film called The Power of One. And it turns out they were looking for a white heavyweight boxer to play this South African heavyweight champion, Andres Milan. And uh, Terry Lawless had a business partner called Jarvis Astaire. Now, Jarvis used to back a lot of West End shows and boxing shows. You know, he'd be the money man that put the money up. And, they did well in Maitland, obviously. But uh, back in the early days, he used to manage Justin Hoffman, apparently. All right. And uh, they were involved in the film game. So when they were looking for a white heavyweight boxer, someone in the film game must have remembered Jarvis and new boxing people. Yeah. So anyway, they sent, uh, it came around that they came to Jim to film me. Would I be interested in the part? And I'm like, yeah, 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 you know, I'd be the scenes. I'm saying to him, get me, I want to be in it, you know. Want to be an actor, yeah. And uh, so it turns out I got this part playing Andres Milan, only through the fact that I was with Terry Lawless and you know Jarvis Astaire had this connection and it just came around. But it was like opening a box of chocolates, really, because there were about 12 boxers that they picked, professional boxers, and we all got taken to this place to film it. You all had to have your own room, and they were a big Warner Brothers movie, so John Keel, Good Morgan Freeman, Steve. And they were like being fished out. I oh, bet you were like, they were just like, yeah. oh, uh, Daniel Craig, his first man. You know, so uh, we're all there. We all had to have our own bedrooms, and they were like being treated like royalty. You know, there were food on the set, and you just helped yourself to whatever you wanted. And I'm playing this South African heavyweight champion, and I had about four or five lines in the in the film. And one of the first scenes was breaking a, a fight up between Stephen Dorff and uh, Daniel Craig. Oh, and I had to run in this gym and separate and say, no more, brother, no more, let it be, let it be. You know, in this South African accent. That Do you South African accent? Well, I don't Look like dead, don't I? Don't look dead. Yeah, it's not as good as you are. It's not like Welsh. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a mixture, man. But that was a funny thing, because they sent me a month before to see this voice coach in London. They said, uh, you know, they gave me this address. And I was getting paid to go. And after the first session, this voice coach says, yeah, that'll do, it's not too bad, that. You just work on this, work on it, you'll be all right. Don't bother coming back. Don't tell them you're not coming back, then I'll get paid, you'll get paid, you know. 
So I thought, yeah, that's all right. So <laughs> come to the first day of filming, and uh, John John Avelsden was the director who directed Rocky One, Rocky Three, and Rocky Five. And uh, John says, uh, right, action. So I flies in, splits Daniel Craig and this. Let it be, brother. Let it be. No more. No more. And John Avelsden went cut. He said, just uh, just hang on a minute. So he goes talking to someone else comes back. He said, I don't like it. He said, it sounds too much like the Beatles song. He said, we're going to change them uh, lines. We'll come back to this scene. And I'm thinking, him, oh, don't change lines, please, please. That's the only thing, that's the only thing I've learned. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I didn't get sacked. I must have got away with it, like, you know. But it, a little back to music as well, like, you know, let it be, brother, let it be. <laughs> I was so lucky because my dad took me to see Mike Tyson fight Larry Holmes. And Ali came in. And he were in a, you know, were just shuffling, and I got to shit. Muhammad Ali came. Mm. And you'd have thought, you'd have thought Ali were fighting on the night, because when he came into the arena, well, the place just went up in uproar. You know, it was like he were Ali, Ali. You thought he were fighting, and he just oh shuffled in and sat in his uh, spot. But uh, he were brilliant. He stopped. Had time for everyone during the day. This is when he came in. You know, he stopped and people were having pictures too. And he couldn't do it moving like that, you know, because like, of his problems that he had in later life. But he had time for people. He didn't have any bodyguards around him. Don Johnson oh. came in with about eight bodyguards around him, you know, and straight through Ali, didn't he? He shuffled in slowly and got where he went. And just brilliant to watch him. Feel privileged to be invited to your house. Thank you so much no, for doing no problem, this. Bro. See, that's the thing I love about your game. Whether you're successful, whether you're Bruce Springsteen or. Not, it's still a way of expressing yourself, isn't it? Adam Fogarty, I'm going to welcome you once again. Thank you. Thank you for showing us. It's like a behind the scenes of your life, really. Here on Nova Meets podcast. Thank you. I've heard so much about you. You are the person that people have described. Thank you. Well, I hope uh, you uh, don't No, no, it's genuine, genuine, <laughs> genuine, modest guy, a gentle giant, kind hearted, w w with some f unbelievable stories, which we've already heard in the car. But like I say, thank you so much for Harry Haywood's chip shop as well. I mean, no, unbelievable. Welcome. I'm you're just welcome. getting into this fish butty, which is delicious. So I'm just going to jump straight in. I mean, we spoke briefly in the car. Started off you, York, well, Oldham. Born in Oldham. Born in Oldham. Came across the Pennines slightly. Just over the hill, yeah. Yeah, I think my dad weren't coming home straight away after rugby games, too yeah. many training sessions late at nights. So and my mum said, listen, you I'm going back to Halifax, and I think my dad had the choice of going back to Halifax with her or, you know, being left in Oldham. So he'd come back to Halifax with my mum and grew up there most of my life. And out of school, you went into being a professional boxer. Was, was that yeah. the kind of, did you always think, right, I'm going to be a fighter, I'm going to be a boxer? Uh, no, I always liked watching boxing. I think it were one of them, I didn't know what I wanted to be. And to be totally honest, you know, I loved Mama Ali when I was a kid watching him and then I saw the Rocky films and something sounds silly but something triggered in my mind that I fancy having a go at this mm -hmm. and I mean I didn't come from a background where you, most great fighters not that I was a great fighter but most big name fighters have come from a bad background in a way or a poverty background mm -hmm. don't they? well I came from a great family background with great parents and but I think when something ignites you I put a lot of time and effort into it I was dedicated you know, I trained hard. I wasn't a natural at anything. And uh, I mean, when I finished, I finished too early. I think I was 21. I was third in England, fifth in Europe, which 
for a kid that I, I didn't have any amateur fights, I just went straight professional because at that time there weren't any really amateur heavyweights around or you might get one fight a year mm -hmm. and you know outside the top say 10 or 12 heavyweights in England it was a bit like amateur anyway so I, I went professional straight away and learned on the job you know learned in the in the gymnasiums sparring and training and uh, my dad my dad were a very laid back fella I mean he was a great rugby league player but he, he was laid back but he was one of them fellas if you wanted to do something he'd be behind you 100% you want to be a boxer okay let's go to New York that's where all the good boxers are you know and he took me to New York to train in Gleason's in a gym called Gleason's and uh, that was just his attitude my daddy was laid back and he, he wouldn't do all for himself in a way but you know for his kids and family he'd do all you know he wanted them to play for Great Britain but he wouldn't go to reunions and stuff the people would have to push him to go and he'd enjoy it when he'd been like Nova but he weren't front of the queue give me a ticket I'm coming it were like Fog are you coming to this one come on you know and, all right uh, you know I would make excuses not to go but like with me and my brother he couldn't do enough and my mum obviously my mum as well but it was just one of them his attitude was, right you want to be a professional boxer I'll put a show on in Halifax and he did he put a show on at the leisure centre in Halifax got his promoter's license and put this boxing show on and it was the same with acting years later when I were acting you know he said uh, I went to LA for a like a beginning of the year where they do a lot of the castings for new shows that are starting you know all about it you've been all there but uh, and I went there and having a look I ended up with deep vein thrombosis funny enough I ended up in hospital so my dad come over and I had to recuperate for about a month and a half before I could fly back and my dad said listen if you want to do this acting game why don't you get over here write a play and put it on in a the theatre over here you know but that was my dad's attitude you want to do it do it you know get it done and I'm saying dad you can't just come over here and start hiring theatres why not you know, I said, well, it don't work like that, you've got to have work permits. Ah, by the time they've found out, I don't know, you know. <laughs> and it, that was just his attitude, that get up and go, so I will do it. Unbelievable supportive person. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. And my mum was the same, you know, she, you know, she, they were a team. But it was just that, there's no, you can't do, you know. Yeah. You know, a number of times my dad were at gym. And one thing that always stuck with me, growing older when I'd finished all my sports and I'd, I was living in Spain me and the wife and we had Harry his first son in Spain and we were sat in a bar one night and my dad were in the corner for every professional fight I ever had and he just one night in this bar he says uh, I regret not pushing you a bit more when it came to it he said but I didn't want to push you it had to be your decision to be a boxer he said and all the reason I had what to be in your corner was to be able to throw the towel in, <laughs> you know, if I were getting hurt. And I, I'm like, you know, it never crossed my mind that. But that was the reason my dad took his corner license out because if anyone were hurting me, he was going to throw a towel in, you know, which. Father son connection. Yeah, you know, and it like, I never even crossed my mind that. But now I've got kids myself, I understand that because I'd hate to sit and watch our Harry yeah. go into a fight, you know. and. You know, it's a part of growing up and learning, but I couldn't have had better parents. You know, I couldn't have had a better background. Upbringing. Upbringing. The transition from boxing to rugby, how did that come about? Was it like, right, again, right time, right place, right time kind of thing? No, what the, was it? The rugby, uh, 
when my family background, my dad was a professional rugby league right. player. Toured Australia with a Great Britain team, and you know, so rugby had been in my uh, blood. <coughs> my granddad, I showed you the picture before, were a rugby league player, yeah. and I'm sure I think he had a couple of professional games at a low level. But rugby were my family background, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, that just seemed the natural progression as a kid. But then I got into the box, and then you know, I went down that route, and I'd had like I say 20 fights, and uh, I ranked third in the fifth in Europe. And I had a bit of contract trouble with Terry Laws and Mickey Duff where they wanted me to sign another three year deal, but I still had a year and a half left to go on my old contract, which at the time I didn't think were right. So I thought, I'll have a year and a half off, go play rugby and come back to boxing. So I went and had a trial at Halifax, got in, and uh, all of a sudden I had 25 mates to train with and, you know, laugh and a joke sort of thing every session rather than living on my own in London. And so that's how I fell back into the, the, the rugby. And I never went back to the boxing because all of a sudden I was making a wage, you know, and I had a lot of mates and not the pressure of being in a single sport where people were, you know, everything came down to you really, yeah, yeah. you know. There's a big difference in between single sports and having a teammates to run out on a field with and fun really. We had an unbelievable career through rugby, Halifax, Warrington. You got a Super League medal with Sterling. I mean, Sterling was kind of the largest chunk of the sale, would you? Yeah. You know I mean, the most yeah. successful time through rugby. And going back to what I said before about being lucky, you know, like my rugby league career in a way, I've always felt we're lucky. You know, I played at Halifax. I were an average run of the mill forward. I had a couple of good games that year that, you know, against St. Helens, and they came in for me at the end of the year. So, in a way, that were a bit lucky because all of a sudden, I went from playing with a load of lads that were great lads and 100% effort and tryers. One of two of them might have had natural ability, you know what I mean? Yeah. Where and then I went to a team that were another set of great lads where most of them had natural ability as well as the work yeah. ethic. So it was like that little balance of uh, stepping up, being lucky enough to step up, you know, that they came in for me and made me an offer. So that was a bit of luck again, right? And being surrounded by other great professionals as well. Yeah, do you know yeah. what I mean? I'm just I'm devouring the fish butty with a little few chips in. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, absolutely yeah. unbelievable. So I do apologise for munching down um, the camera and the microphone. But also I've been handed a, a cup of tea, which is uh, a pinnacle partnership with any fish butty supper. Oh, you need a summer However, the Huddersfield Town down. mug. I mean, I'm a Bradford I'll City give you that on purpose. I'll give you that on purpose to see if you'd notice. Yeah, don't refuse, you worry. Refuse I was like, to drink I from still it. drink this or what? Yeah, what so are you doing so to me? Yeah, you. Um, but it's fine. Uh, yeah, that's, I, I, our, that's our Harry's cup, though. Do you know what I mean? I, I, I wanted to Huddersfield to do well in the Premier League. But I'm a Bradford fan, just to clarify that. But anyway, this unbelievable journey through the acting, if it's film, if it's TV, I mean, Musicians have discographies, you know. You know what I mean? Albums. Yeah. yeah on, you know what I mean? You yeah, can see. Yeah, yeah. You've got a filmography, which is pretty special, isn't it? Well, it's, I mean, you're looking at what well, I mean. I how think it's you, pretty lucky again because again, pretty lucky. I never went to acting school, just right place at the right time, and you know. So but, yeah, it's been lucky. But you've 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 kind of acted next to some unbelievable names I like to say they've acted next to me exactly alright but what an experience what a journey and did you ever think when you first started when you very first being being on screen did you ever think you'd get to the point where you're at now no 
No, I mean, really, I've just... <laughs> I've learning every time, you know, and you mm -hmm. never stop learning the acting game. I think I've always said you better be lucky than good, you know, because I have worked with some of the biggest stars on the planet, whether it's been three lines or four lines here, you know, but I've still been lucky to get the part. And, you know, so, yeah, I mean, what is success? I don't know, you know, I mean, I've loved doing what I've done and, and looking back on it, I've, I've enjoyed it as it's happened, you know. And you never know, it's one of them things, I think, you know, they, they talk now about depression in sport and things like that, and I think I can understand it because when you leave a career like rugby or boxing and, and all of a sudden it's just normal life and you're not getting that adrenaline rush, I can understand where people think, jeez, you know, whether you've made a lot of money at it or you haven't, you know, it's that buzz of what you've been used to most of your life. And a lot of sportsmen's careers finish young, don't they, let's be honest. So if you've know, I think I've been very lucky that the acting, I've gone on to the acting and I've still got that little bit of, like I say, playing cowboys and Indians as a 50-year-old bloke, you know, who's 18-year-old in his head. So I've had that to carry on with after the sports. So I never really woke up one morning thinking, oh, it's all done now. Oh. Which I can understand why lads do because let's face it, you're top of your tree in whatever field you're in and you're playing that sport and then all of a sudden someone takes the keys off you to that magic club that you're a part of and gang and you're not allowed to be a part of it anymore really and mm -hmm. you know, well what am I going to do this week to get excited about, you know, because no matter what you say sports, when your adrenaline rushes when you walk onto that field and you're playing and you, your sports and like walking mm -hmm. onto a yeah. stage to sing and perform, you know, when that, you know, I can understand where the depression side comes from but luckily for me, the acting was a great release for me to carry on doing, being involved in a dream or involved in a gang or being a part of something. And I think, you know, I've been lucky, very lucky. I've worked with some great actors who've had great careers. I mean, my career, I, I make no bones about it in the acting front is a lucky career because one minute I'm working, next minute I'm not working. You know, I'm not, I don't, I'm not Brad Pitt, I'm, I don't go from one film to the next, I go from one job, maybe six months later, get another little job, you know, it's not, they're not knocking the door down to employ me as an actor, but it, I've had a good career and it's, you know, when it comes up, I enjoy it. People don't know. No. Yeah. You've got an agent, agent and too. obviously, they're always looking, they're always looking. Mm -hmm. So the more material you're obviously being in, it's kind of, that's your CV, isn't it? That's your yeah. resume. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, me, I'm a bit different because <clears throat> of the size of me, the look, you bad. We talk about being typecast and things like that. You know, most of the time I've got to play a heavy or a, some meathead who's, you know, you don't get the lover boy roles. Yeah. But when they do come along, like Greenfingers, it weren't a lover boy, but it were a nice character. Okay, it were a meathead or a, an ex-prisoner. But it's nice to play away from type, as in what they expect you to be, you know, a heavy or a... Yeah. So when them jobs come on, yeah, they're, they're great, you know. But it's one of them, you have, you know, you, you have meetings, you have people offer you jobs and and that's great, you know. But it's not like Hollywood. Yeah, I've been in some good Hollywood movies, but it's not, I'm turning scripts down left, right and centre. Yeah, yeah. When they come along, I enjoy it because it's different again. How do you find learning lines and stuff? Eh? Hard. Yeah. Uh, I think it's just a brain thing with me. I, uh, once they're in, I'm okay. But I've laid in this room in pitch black. I did a play, Shakespeare play, 
Shakespeare. Yeah, tour, tour of Shakespeare. And to tell you the honest truth, for the first month, I didn't even know what it was about. And I'd spent months learning it. But it's like a different language, isn't it? You know. And uh, Love's Labour's Lost It was. And I played a character called Costard, and he's on, he's on the stage with most. He's got most in it, really, part lines. And I was just laid in this room, learning it and learning it and going over it and over it. And I knew every line, every word. I knew a lot of other people's words as well, because I was that petrified that I'd get there and not be able to do it. So before even rehearsals started, I'd learned everything. But it took a lot of just repetitive bubble, yeah, bubble, yeah. bubble, bubble, you know. I'd love to have that mind that can read something once and just remember it. One of the films that stick out, I think it's one of the, I mean, Snatch was unbelievable. Gorgeous George Park. Yeah. And the scene where you have a scrap with Brad Pitt. I was watching it last night again, just to kind of refresh the memory. And when you fell, Golden Brown kicks in. It's just like it's just like could you, the music placement as well for that scene was unbelievable. It was funny because that scene, I had a friend of mine, Errol Fuller, and Errol's wrote books with, uh, about birds and extinct animals. His last book was with uh, David Attenborough, and uh, great lad. But he's a bit like Indiana Jones, you know. He's, yeah. He goes on all these little expeditions, like for looking for the lost bird of paradise. And he's a right character, but he's in that scene, the last scene of uh, where the scene Golden Brown. Yeah. I mean Brad Pitt, can you remember that first initial meet you had with Brad? Yeah, yeah. No, what it was that like? It was, it were, you got to remember Brad Pitt didn't make it till he was 28 year old and he'd been doing all sorts of jobs in Hollywood apparently, mm -hmm. you know, driving strippers around and delivering pizzas or whatever, you know. So when I first met him, he was staying at Sting's house because Trudy Style were involved in Snatch as well. And uh, he was staying at one Connections. of the- Connections? Yeah, yeah. 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 That's how I got the job. I did uh, Green Fingers, and then Trudy put me forward for Gorgeous George and snap. I was stopping at my friend's Errol's house, and they, they sent this car to pick me up to take me to meet Brad Pitt. We were going to rehearse the fight scenes. In Sting's house? At Sting's house. <laughs> well, in London. Uh, I forget where it was, but it was a lovely house. We got there, and I knocked on the door, thinking someone will open it, and Brad Pitt opened it. And he looked at me and said, you must be gorgeous. And I says, yeah. And I says, Nice to meet you, he says, come here, he said, do you want a cup of tea? You know, like, he must have thought, you know, it's the first thing you do in England is offer someone a cup of tea or a drink, you know. So I said, yeah, I love one, yeah, yeah. You know, so we went in and he introduced me to his bodyguard and his agent and, uh, and luckily I knew the uh, stunt coordinator. I'd worked with him on a film before, Tom Doma. So he says, right, Adam, he says, we're going to go into the back garden and we'll, we'll set up, we'll rehearse the fight scene there, like, you know, I said, oh, brilliant, yeah, right. And Brad Pitt had this all, not all in one, but like a tracksuit bottom and a tracksuit top, like the shiny, sort of, looked smart, don't get me wrong. Shell suit, Like, like yeah, a yeah. shell suit, but I don't know, it better than a shell suit. And anyway, it goes into the back garden, and Tom Delamar says, right, Adam, he says, in this scene, first scene, he says, Brad's gonna be on all fours, and you'll come in, you'll grab him under the armpit and you'll grab him on the inside of his thigh and we're going to strap this handle to the inside of his thigh so that you'll be able to lift him up and the camera angle will look like you've got him by the privates and by the throat and you'll throw him against the fence. I said, right, magic, yeah. They said, right, action. So they would strap this uh, handle inside this shell suit to his leg. So I goes in, grabs him under the arm, grabs this handle, goes to pick him up, and with him having a shell suit, my hand slips straight into his privates. 
well I've never seen anyone move as fast he jumped up like whoa 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 man I said sorry man I said so within like 10 minutes of uh, meeting Brad Pitt I had him by the by the privates. By the privates. Not something so, I thought I do. What did you think of his Irish, Irish, Irish accent during the film? I thought it was good. I thought it was clever. You know, because it done. Uh, there's two sides of accents in Ireland, isn't there? Well, yeah. Northern, southern, and it done the other one in a, a film that he'd just been out playing an IRA gun runner. Mm. So he wanted to do the the pikey accent, made it harder for himself, really. And I thought he did a cracking job. Yeah. You know, at the time, I didn't realise, because like, I was struggling to understand and you know, hear it. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. But it's quite comical in the film, isn't it, that you can't, you're not meant to understand No, it, no, no. You know, but uh, no, I thought he did a cracking job. But he was a great down-to-earth lad, mm-hmm. you know, it, which I liked, you know, because he was a bit of a chain smoker back then and he was seeing Jennifer Anderson. And, uh, she turned up on set one day and she absolutely beautiful but in real life when you see it done up because I mean I've only ever seen her in Friends where she's playing the girl next mm-hmm. door type without the makeup isn't she and just the, and she's still beautiful in that but when you see her turn up back then and well she's still beautiful now but with all the makeup on mm-hmm. and the, you know like, wow she's absolutely stunning and Snatch were great because a lot of them people had been in lockstock Right, you know, so they were all mates, and it was a good banter. Mm-hmm. When you know, there's a lot of times killing between action and you know filming stuff, and then waiting to do the next scene. So some of that time you might spend in your trailer, but like on Snatch, it was brilliant because they were playing cards, and yeah. you know they were banter. You know, yeah. well, that, well, a handful of films you play with somebody that I, I mean, I, I've always been a massive admirer of Stephen Graham. Stephen, yeah, yeah. Like a great actor in it, like just Brilliant. The, the, his, his approach on camera, but his delivery and everything like that. I mean, I, I mean, but you two simply hit it off, even when you're working together. Great actor, and like Stephen, like the first time I'd ever heard of Stephen when we did Snatch, you know, and I'm playing his big dumb sidekick, you know, and great. It's great to see he went straight from Snatch to uh, to work with the big famous American actor Band of Brothers. Went off working with a fantastic big Hollywood director, Scorsese. Scorsese, yeah. You know, and Martin Scorsese took to him. Gangs in New York, yeah. New York. Yeah. Great, you know. Uh, Unbelievable. Again, that on right delivery. DiCaprio. And, oh my gosh. You know, people. I mean, his work with some of the best, biggest stars in the world, playing parts that you kill for. And his latest one that hadn't come out yet, when we were doing uh, What Like a Panther. He was going straight on to one with uh, Tom Hanks, playing Tom Hanks' sidekick, and Tom Hanks had asked for him especially, you know, because there were all sorts of people lined up for this part, they wanted to play this part, but Tom Hanks wanted Stephen Graham, and which is a great, you know, so it's, it's done that playing, it's, it's like a war film, where he plays this sidekick to Tom Hanks, and straight from that he's gone on to another Scorsese movie where he's with uh, De Niro yeah. all the big yeah, yeah. like American actors that were in Casino you know all these like oh, top like Joe stars Pesci Joe stuff. Pesci yeah, yeah. it's like a true story about a gangster's lifestyle is that one that's coming out on Netflix yeah and he's yeah, playing yeah. one of the main the, the, <clears throat> the New Yorker I think it's called or something the American or, but he's playing one of the main characters isn't it and like you know you just think go you know good luck to you well, well done man you know, because he's from Liverpool area, isn't he, Stevie? 
set off yeah. chasing yeah. his dream like we were talking before you know it just shows that the more you try the, and the luckier you can get what was it like working with Vinny Jones in Mean Machine? great you played Mouse Vinny's, yeah. yeah and that's what they nicknamed me they call me yeah. Mouse now Vinny you know Vinny's great he took me under his wing he, uh, I think he liked it because I'd come from a sporting background right. trying something new he'd come from a obviously yeah, a sporting yeah. background great fun to be around you know lovely family Tanya who's sadly just know, passed yeah. away <clears throat> you know but great family because I think sportsmen you learn uh, you learn not to be too cocky or arrogant or that because someone will always knock you down you know I think that's something that happens naturally yeah. coming through sports and you know I just hit it off with him brilliant looked after me I spent time with him in LA and uh, you know always pushed me for jobs you know I went doing a film in Bulgaria I got a phone call from Vinny I was living in Spain sorry and I got a phone call from Vinny in America and I'm uh, watching Coronation Street in Spain laid on the city as you do and the telephone goes and he Mouse I said hi Vin like the character's name from he says Mouse he says I've got a big fan of yours here who wants to have a word with you I says who is it he says Stephen Seagal I said stop messing about and all of a sudden this voice come on hey Mouse I said, hello. I thought it would take him in here. So this is Stephen. I want you to come over here and do a film with us well, in Bulgaria, you know. I said, yeah, yeah, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, you know. sorry about language then. But anyway, I think, you know, I said, yeah, yeah, all right, I will do that, like, you know. And I, like, Vinny come back, Mouse, I'll ring you later, you know. And he put four, <laughs> so I put four down. Think, you know. Well, within two days, I'm on a plane to Bulgaria, you know, to do this. Steven Seagal film and uh, it's called Submerged and just little stories like that you know it looked after me it was brilliant you know if he were on a job and he could get me on it he got me on it still keeping contact with Vinny then now yeah yeah, yeah yeah every now and then like you know Vinny obviously moved to America and, but uh, you know it was terribly sad to hear about Tanya because mm-hmm. she was just the best host you know she opened the house to anyone as in Finney invited you there, you, you struggled to get away. You know, I went there when we started filming Mean Machine for a party on a, I think it was a Sunday afternoon. And uh, I'd, I'd uh, been staying in a caravan because it was easy for me. I'd live, I bought this caravan because they, they offer you the podiums, you know, to stay in a hotel, yeah, yeah. Or, which are normally good, you know. And I had this caravan and I thought, I didn't want to stay in a hotel, you know, you're never in it. So I, I parked this caravan right near the sets. So we're doing Mean Machine and I goes to Vinny's house for this party on the Sunday. Well, that was it. Mouse, you're not going, you're staying in that room there. You can't be staying in that caravan anymore. <laughs> and he wouldn't let me go home. And Tanya wouldn't, you know, and they just, oh. Oh, brilliant, you know, like just opened the, the family up to me and, uh, you know, the rest were history. The latest film, 2018, Walk Like a Panther. Then it had the Rick Astley music video with it as well. I was depressed about that because I wrote a song for that and they never used it. Really? They went with Rick Astley. Rick, I don't, you know what? I, I, first time I saw the video last night. I'm a good dancer, aren't I? I'm very good dancer. <laughs> you look great, you know, it's like a. It's like a spandex. Yeah, that's spandex, <laughs> lycra kind of thing. Done one since then. Right. Called A Very British Christmas for uh, Hallmark in America. That was filmed up here up the north. Right. In the north where I play a. a a baker who's in charge of the local choir comedy it's a very good part and I love it because I'm playing away from character of being a th- not that I am a thug yeah, yeah. I'm not expected to be a thug or a hard man or a, 
playing this village baker who loves music and loves being the leader of a choir. How do you find the accents? All right, because it's like you get that much time to work with them if they want you to do an accent. Mm -hmm. So it's not like you're having to learn, you know, it depends how much you have to do, I suppose, in the movie, how many lines you have. But even if you're playing the main leads, you've got enough time to learn it and how to do it in that accent. I think it helps if you've got a good ear for it, obviously. Mm. Some people have an ear for it. And I don't know, I just wing it. (laughs) It's been an absolute pleasure. No, it's been great. No, it's been an absolute pleasure. I like to finish off with uh, 10 of the best. You know what I mean? I'm not going to hit you out like that. I'm just going to give you throw 10 things at you and you just tell me the first thing that comes to your head. You can go in at detail why you're saying that. It, but it's entirely up to you. Stop looking at cheating. All right, oh. right, right. Adam Fogarty, here are your 10 of the best here on okay. Meets podcast. Dog or cat? Dog. Bacon or sausage? Bacon. Brown or red sauce? Brown. Favourite holiday destination? Australia. I spent a bit of time in Australia as, as a young man, like I say, I fought out there as a professional boxer and, and that. And uh, I loved it, I loved the people, I loved the lifestyle. Sydney then? Is that good? Sydney, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Night in or night out? I am a night in person. I'm not, I can't get excited and try and say I'm rock and roll Mr. Lifestyle. Yeah. I like being in. My dad said something to me which resonated with me. Like, you know, when it, it was cool with my dad, like, at the end of his life, sort of thing. But he said, I want to go home, Adam. He said, uh, I'm a home bird. And I thought, yeah, I am. I'm an home bird. Mm. Favourite food? Fish and chips, cooked breakfast, spare ribs. How long's the list? <laughs> I didn't get to this side be, size being choosy. <laughs> a selection then, yeah? Oh, a selection, uh, Chinese, curry. Favourite <laughs> actor slash actress? I always liked Dustin Hoffman because of his ranges. He doesn't stick, you know, like from Tootsie to uh, Rain Man. And, Meet the Fockers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, it's, you know, I think that is the art of being an actor to Papillon. Papillon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that's the art of being a world-class top actor when you can change and play anything. Favourite film? I liked one with him in it, uh, Accidental Hero, where uh, oh, you want to watch it. It's, I suppose it's it's about a, a bum who's trying to prove to his son or be, get back friendly with his son, and his son's young, like you know, but he's in and out of trouble. Is I don't want to tell you too much because you've got to watch it. It's, it's hilarious. Real Accidental Hero. Can you cook? I can cook, uh, but what I I can do a good Sunday dinner. That's fantastic. You know, but. You don't have to be that good these days, do you? With Aunt B- Bessie's mash. No, it's true. Well, you know, you, I can do a good Sunday dinner. I can make fish and chips. I know how to do that. I spent a lot of time going around America looking in for these different players, staying in different hotels. And at times, I had just killed for something like beans on toast with grated cheese and a fried egg. You know. <laughs> You've got all this menu to look at, and you think, I don't want another steak, I can't I just want egg on toast. Sad and Fogs, your last question for the best of the ten. You're making your Sunday lunch, and there's three places at the end of this table. Dead or alive, who are you inviting? Dean Martin. Yeah. I'd like to have a good chat with him and listen to a few Rat Pack stories. And from the little bits I've heard, he was the only one that Sinatra couldn't handle. Yeah. Wouldn't jump to Sinatra's tune or whatever, you know. Yeah. Apparently, so I should imagine he'd be a good. Dean's uh, there, just you just put a roast potato on his plate. Yeah, he's having one. I like 
might sound so. I'm like God, because a few questions to ask him, why did you invent serial killers? Uh, what else can I ask him? All the uh, theories, you know, these who killed Kennedy. Elvis. I'd like to have had 10 minutes with Elvis, seeing where it went wrong, because, you know, it, what is it, Ronnie? the first great in a way in the rock and roll well it wasn't the first great but I think what, what 42 when he died you know what I mean and you think jeez how did that happen where did it get that lonely that there were no one around you to help you or yeah. guide you a little bit better you had the world at your knees you had everything you had the looks the talent but even Elvis couldn't handle being Elvis you got Dean there on the right. Yeah. God at the top of the table. Elvis on your left. Yeah. I could ask God that as well. How did you let him go? Yeah. Like well, I mean, go. You're doing God. Yeah. What do you mean? And Dean Martin drank himself to death. Why did you let that happen? That, you know what I mean? <laughs> but it's a musical yeah. connection in a way. Yeah. Yeah. And then you've got yourself, Adam Fogarty. Yeah. Yeah. A few questions I mean, to answer there. <laughs> I mean, no pressure on the Sunday lunch and all. All right. No, no. Dinner. Yeah. You know what I mean? Some, you know, Sunday dinner. But Dean won't take much feeding. He'd yeah. just want a bottle of summer, will not he? Yeah. Elvis, a couple of pills and a bit yeah. of... Uh, yeah. God might be a different man. He's had it all before, so... <laughs> Listen. Cooking's not hard. Thank you no. so much. No, thank you so for the invite. Sports star, actor, but you know what, down and out, unbelievable character. And it's, it's been a pleasure to spend the afternoon with you. Seriously. No, thank you it. so much I've for inviting me. Driving around the car. Fish shop, Harry Haywoods, check it out, literally. What does that tell you? Yeah. Delicious. Best fish and chips. I forgot in the UK. to charge you for it. You got away with the free fish butter. There, there you go. But thank you so much. Best no, of luck to you. Enjoyed it, Nova, and uh, best of luck to you and the, the, the group and the this podcast series and Thank you so much. Good luck, man. Top man, Adam Pocket. Thank you so thank much. You. See you soon. Goodbye. <laughs> Thank you.